Good evening. My name is Annie Vanderpaul, and I am the Associate Director of Young Adult Ministries here at Bell Press. And today marks the first day of Lent. We now enter into a 40-day season of preparation before the Easter celebration. During these 40 days, we spend time reflecting and meditating on Christ. And as we do, we are reminded of our sinfulness and our mortality. A well-known author, Anne Voskamp, says the following about Lent. It's the preparing of the heart for Easter, like going with Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days, that we might come face to ugly face with our enemy, our sacrificing that we might become more like Christ in his sacrifice. Like Jesus in the wilderness, we are faced with temptation. During Lent, we are reminded again that we are sinful and hopeless at trying to make ourselves right. We are in need of help. We are in need of saving. And in 40 days from now, we will celebrate our saving through our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one that places hope and rescue even in the midst of our hopelessness. And when I think about Jesus and his ministry and his life, I'm overwhelmed by two things. The first, God's astounding and immeasurable love. And the second, that I sometimes feel like I don't deserve that love. But the good news is this, is that the first thing, God's love, trumps the second thing, me thinking that I don't deserve it. It's not up to me to decide, thank goodness, whether or not I measure up. Jesus even told his closest followers that it's not that we choose him, but that he chose us. God says it's not that we love God, but that God first loved us. The common scripture to be read for Ash Wednesday is the temptation of Jesus. Like Voskamp pointed out, the Lenten season is marked by us going into the wilderness with Jesus, facing our enemy, sin, and temptation. But today I want to focus on the scripture passage right before the temptation. And in writing this sermon, as I prayed, I felt God say to me the words, renewed perspective. So that's where we're going to be going for the next 15 minutes or so. In the scripture that Rosalind read, it's a beautiful Trinitarian moment, an amazing illustration of God's love for his son. Jesus is baptized, and God's voice speaks over Jesus and even ascends upon him in the form of a dove, the Holy Spirit. But it's always what God says to Jesus in that moment that strikes me. He says, you are my son, my beloved. With you I am well pleased. And what immediately follows us, the scripture tells us, that Jesus was 30 years old when he began to teach and minister. Now if I was just given a small snippet of the text, in particular the words that God speaks over Jesus, you are my son, my beloved, and with you I am well pleased. If I was just given those words and somebody asked me, Annie, where do these words appear in the life of Jesus? My answer would probably be, oh, you know, at the end of his life, when he had accomplished everything that he did, when he'd done all of those amazing things, that's where those words would appear. 
because that would make perfect sense, right? And looking at all the things that Jesus did, love the unlovable, turn water into wine, heal the sick, raise Lazarus from the dead, it would make sense for God's reaction to be, hey, son, way to go. Look at all that you did. I sure do love you. And I understand the text in this way because that's how the world around us operates. We live in a culture that is so used to hearing words of affirmation after we've done something. We hear, I'm pleased with you, or good job, after we've done well in a baseball game, or finished a project on time, or gotten a promotion at work, or given a great sermon. <laughs> and in those circumstances, it would seem almost out of context to be told, hey, good job, before we've done something. Could you imagine saying, hey, good job to your son before his baseball game? He'd probably be like, yeah, thanks, but it's not even the first inning yet. So I guess God likes to surprise us and take things out of our context because God says that he loves his son and is pleased with Jesus before Jesus had done anything extraordinary. Because what had Jesus done up until this point in his life? We don't really know a lot. We've got the bare bones version between the four gospels that basically tell us the following. Jesus was born just like you and me. He grew up with guardians, parents, just like you and me. He learned a thing or two, probably like you and me. And he had a trade, carpentry. Like maybe some of you, definitely not like me, I don't know my way around tools. And then we read here that despite Jesus' life being somewhat non-noteworthy, God loves him and God affirms him and is pleased with his son. So what do we learn from this? It's not the extra extraordinary things that Jesus did that causes God to be so in love with him and so pleased with his son. And similarly, it's not the extraordinary things that we do that causes God to be so in love with us and so pleased with us. God loves Jesus because Jesus is God's son. And God loves us with that same exact love because he has called us his sons and daughters. Now, if God had spoken these words of love and affirmation over his son at the end of Jesus' life, it would make for quite a different story, but one that we would all understand, because it would make sense if God spoke these words over Jesus at the end of his life. Oh yeah, of course God would feel that way. Look at all that he had done. Of course his dad would say, good job, well done. Furthermore, if God spoke these words over his son at the end of his life, it would only reinforce to us what the world tries to enforce to us, that God's love is conditional and that God's love needs to be earned. So thank God that he says these words to Jesus when he did, because it illustrates to us yet again how unconditional his love is. After Jesus is baptized, and the Father sends upon him in the form of the Spirit, God unconditionally assures his Son of his love for him. And it's only after this moment of assurance that Jesus begins his ministry. Jesus begins teaching and preaching and ministering only when he is filled with that unconditional love and the power and authority that comes from his Father. Everything that follows in the life of Jesus is done out of this love 
and out of this assurance. Jesus was compelled by love, God's love. And I know at times I can be compelled by God's love too, but not all the time. Sometimes other things compel me, like writing this sermon, for example. There were definitely times when I felt God giving me words to write and things to say, but then there were other times when I felt compelled by something else, like the fact that I'd be standing up here in front of all of you and you'd expect me to say something, a thing or two. So when I would have a case of writer's block, I would simply remember the words from the scripture that God said over Jesus and allow them to also wash over me as God's daughter. Because if I really believe what I'm preaching up here today, then I have to believe that God says these words to me before preaching this sermon. That God loves me no matter what. And that God is pleased with me. And those words aren't conditional and pending how I do tonight. God's love precedes any action that I take. And we see how powerful this is because those words of love and acceptance are also preceded, also preceded all of the amazing things that Jesus did. And in my opinion, that makes for quite a better story. And a story that displays God even more, God's love even more powerfully than I understand or can imagine. So how does this tie in with Lent? Before Jesus enters the wilderness where he was tempted, he was filled with the Father's love and assurance. Love and assurance precede temptation. God's love and assurance precede our sin and temptation. During Lent, we walk into the wilderness with Jesus. But like Jesus in facing our sin and temptation, we are always filled with love from our Father. He affirms us. God calls us his own. Love precedes sin. And not only does love precede sin, but with Easter coming, we also know that love conquers sin. So the renewed perspective that I feel like God laid upon my heart was this. While we enter into the wilderness for 40 days, that action, just like it was with Jesus, is always preceded with God's love. So during the next 40 days or so, when the topic of Lent is brought up in conversation, some of you might hear the question, hey, what are you giving up for Lent? In the past, I've usually made the very hard decision between giving up desserts or coffee. And during years when I feel extra holy, I give them both up. <laughs> I'd rather not give up either of those things, but have multiple courses of dessert and cups of coffee, coffee per day. But after 40 days off dessert and coffee, I usually feel pretty good about myself. Wow, look what I accomplished. And it does make Easter morning all the more merry, knowing that I can have dessert for breakfast and a quad shot latte. It's amazing. But do you see what's happened here in these past few moments? I've been talking more about myself and my own accomplishments than I have about Easter and Lent. And that's sometimes what happens to me during this tradition of giving something up for Lent. I put more emphasis on my own accomplishments and me, 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 instead of walking into the wilderness with Jesus. 
Because really, if I'm honest, my wilderness is not my semi-addiction to coffee, but it's something a little bit deeper than that. And my focus shouldn't be on my own accomplishment, giving up dessert, giving up coffee, but my focus should be on my need for someone else to accomplish what I cannot. I cannot fix my sinfulness alone. No accomplishment on my end is going to remedy that. But the Bible says that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. And that is something that too often I gloss over and take for granted. But when I sit and meditate on that gift, the gift of Jesus, again I'm overwhelmed by two things. The first, God's astounding and immeasurable love. And the second, how often I don't feel like I deserve that love. But again, like I said at the beginning, the first thing, God's love, precedes the second thing, me thinking that I don't deserve it. Love precedes sin. We do not face our temptations and trials alone. But like Jesus, God longs to fill us with his love and speak his words of affirmation over us, adopting us, claiming us, calling us his own. So what if that was the renewed perspective that we took on during this Lenten season? That maybe in addition to giving something up, we also took something on. Because I'm not saying that it's bad to give something up during Lent. I just know that my temptation can be to focus more on me instead of fixing my eyes on Jesus. So maybe that's what God meant to me when he said renewed perspective. That if you're going to take something away like coffee, dessert, Facebook, then maybe you also need to take something on in its place. So my charge to you is this, that over the next 40 days of Lent, may your renewed perspective include the words that God spoke over Jesus in his baptism. May you begin each day by hearing God's loving voice wash over you. You are my daughter, you are my son, my beloved, and with you I am well pleased. And I say at the beginning of the day, because usually when we wake up, we haven't accomplished anything yet. And so we won't be tempted to think, hey, look at me. I'm so great. I earned that love. But we can receive it for the gift that it is. So let God's words of love and affirmation be a part of your Lenten season. And may they give you a renewed perspective that God's love is not based on your accomplishments, and whether or not you make it the whole 40 days without drinking a cup of coffee, but based on the fact that he has called you his son or his daughter. And I'm going to conclude with a story. Last summer, my uncle was tragically electrocuted, and he died. And I always cry a little bit, sorry. I'll make it. I got jokes in the margins. <laughs> He would actually think that was funny. <laughs> so minutes before he was electrocuted, minutes before he died, he confessed to my aunt how blown away he was by God's creation and how he was ready to experience God's glory in its fullness. Just minutes before he died, he confessed this to my aunt that he was ready to meet his maker. 
And what's even crazier is just a few weeks before that, he confessed to his pastor that he had this feeling like his days were up, that his days were numbered. And his pastor said, well, what are you, what are you feeling along with that? And my uncle said, I'm feeling God's love and God's peace, which is so hard to understand. So during the last 40 or so days of my uncle's life, he faced his own type of wilderness. His temptation was to treat his last days as a looming countdown, plagued by worry and wondering, is today going to be my last day? That was his temptation. That was his wilderness. But because before entering this wilderness, he was filled with God's peace and God's love, he chose to treat the last 40 or so days of his life as an invitation. An invitation to live and to live mightily. 40 days to live. He spent time with the Lord, spent time in relationships, never missing an opportunity to show people God's love for them. He spent time with my aunt. He took his son on a fishing trip that he'll never forget. And he spent time with his daughter, his son-in-law, and three grandkids at the lake. Too much of the time, I treat Lent as a countdown. 40 more days until I can have dessert again. But that's not what it is. Lent is an invitation. It's an invitation to walk into the wilderness with Jesus and to come face to ugly face with our sinfulness. But we know what precedes our sin and temptation in our wilderness. The fact that God loves us and the fact that God calls us his sons and daughters. So in our wilderness, whatever or wherever it may be, we are not alone. God has equipped us. So Lent is an invitation to face our sin, but face it filled with God's love. And in this way, Lent is an invitation to live and to live mightily, assured of God's love, 40 days to live. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. And we thank you for what today means. We thank you that you are inviting us to experience your love in a new and powerful way. And that is good news. So as we go from here and journey together over these next 40 days, fill us with your Holy Spirit to remind us of your promise that you always love us and that you've already called us your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.